us to thank our parking team who got here early and set everything up. Can we let them know how much we appreciate them today? <clears throat> thank you guys. And uh, just stay flexible. And, and I'm gonna ask if our younger, able-bodied members, if you could park across the street at the gravel or the asphalt parking lot. That way our older and uh, physically challenged folks could uh, park in this concrete parking lot and have easy access. To all of our guests, we're so glad you're here today. Welcome home. Come on, let's give our guests a hand. We're so glad that you're here today. Okay, we are uh, continuing the series we started last week, and we're talking about relationship goals, and uh, marriage goals, actually, sorry, marriage goals. Marriage goals, and, and you might recognize some of the people pictured in that graphic, and we put them up there because they have successful marriages. So keep at it, and maybe in 50 years, we'll put your picture up there too. Hopefully that motivates somebody. But I wanna give another quick plug for our October 15th is our Marriage Goals One Day Marriage Workshop. And I wanna just encourage everybody who is married or thinking about getting married to please attend that. And the reason why we are doing this series, the reason why we're having this workshop is because the devil's after our marriages. The enemy wants to destroy our homes. The enemy wants to destroy the relationships and our families, but we're not gonna let it happen in the name of Jesus. Come on, is somebody alive and awake out there today? Is anybody gonna fight for your marriage? And so last week we talked about there's these uh, relationship attachment model by Dr. John Epp. He was a Christian psychologist. And he gives five ways, five stages of a relationship. If we could have that graphic up there. Number one, we talked last week about know. The first step in a relationship is to know somebody. And then we go to trust and then we rely on them and then we commit and then we touch. And we talked about last week how our culture has inverted this. We start at touch and then we go to know. And we talked about the messes that come from that model and how we wanna reverse that and we are making this a series that's relevant to everybody. If you're single, pay attention. If you're married, pay attention. If you're a teenager, you're gonna need this one day. If you pay attention to this, this will save you from a lot of messes. And I wanna start today talking about what's called the safe zone. Dr. Epp talks about the safe zone, and the safe zone is this. It is when I wait to progress to the next step until I'm at a very high level at the previous step. And what that means is this, I don't trust people I don't know. And I don't rely on people I don't trust. I don't commit to people that I can't rely on and I don't have touch with people that I'm not committed to. And so that is the safe zone. When we follow this model, which by the way is a biblical model, when we follow that there's safety and there's blessing. And then there's the, the danger zone. The danger zone is this, is when I move to one step before I've completed the previous one. And that's how so many of us, are, our relationships are, are upside down and, and they're not where they need to be is because we have started touching people we don't know. We are trusting people we don't know. We're relying on people that we can't trust. And then we wonder why everything is upside down. 
But if you follow this model, it works. I've seen it work. I've seen how God uses these steps. And if you're in a a dating relationship or you're uh, going to be entering a dating relationship, follow this model. If you're married, keep these things in balance. We have to be aware if maybe there's not a lot of touch in our married relationship. That's very important. We need to be uh, aware if maybe if our trust has gone down low. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about trust. You have to have trust in a relationship. Trusting somebody and knowing somebody are two completely different things. There's a lot of people I know and I don't trust them because I know them. Can I get an amen? Heard a lot of chuckles on that one. Like, yeah, that's right. And that's why it's so important that we build that foundation of knowing somebody because I don't know if I can trust you. And that only comes through time. And last week we talked about time is your friend in building a relationship. Getting to know somebody takes a lot of time. And the same thing is true with trust. It takes time before you can trust somebody. And here's what trust is. It's a feeling of security or confidence in another person. When you can trust somebody, you take them at their word. You know that they're gonna do what they said they're gonna do. You can trust them when you're not there. You don't have to be around them 100% of the time to be able to trust them. And then here's the problem. Our feelings about trust don't come just from what we know, but rather they come from what we think we know about the person. Let me show you how this works. We think we know somebody based on what they've told us. So maybe you're dating somebody and you say, well, you know, what do you do for a living? And they, they say, well, I'm a pediatrician and on the weekends I like to go save lost puppies and uh, take them to the animal shelter. And so your mind says, oh, I can trust this person. They, they work with kids and uh, on, on their weekends they go out and save lost puppies. And here's the thing. You can be a pediatrician that saves lost puppies and be a psychopath. And so we can't base our trust based on what somebody tells us. And I'm talking to the single people right now. You have to verify what they say. You have to verify who they claim to be. And that comes with time. And what you think of others is not necessarily the same as what they really are. Anybody can say anything. And trust isn't gained through words. Trust is gained through actions. Trust is gained through a repeated, uh, a, a repeated uh, cycle of actions that back up what they say. And, and here's how trust is, is built. Now, again, this is going to the, the single people. And if you weren't here last week, I, I uh, told everybody, I have a heart for single people because I was one for 34 years. And I think so many times our, a lot of the marriage talks we give and the marriage uh, seminars and series we do is all focused towards married people when it needs to be focused to single people just as much. Is that all right? So I'm talking to the single people right now. And trust is built by, by uh, following through with commitments. If he backs out on dates at the last second, if there's a pattern in that, that's a trust issue. If they say, I will be there for 
such and such event and they never show up, that's a trust issue, that's a red flag. Trust is built by honesty. Can I verify that what they claim to be when I talk to their friends and their friends say the same thing about them as they say about themselves? Trust is built by being open with opinions. That uh, Trust is built when I'm not hiding anything about who I am. I'm not hiding uh, anything about what I believe, but I'm open about it. Trust is built when people respect your boundaries. If they don't respect your boundaries, red flag. That's a big trust issue. When you say this, this uh, far and no further, and, and they can't honor that, if they can't honor your space, if they can't honor your time, that's a trust issue. Trust is built when we give the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. Trust is built when we give as much as we receive. We, we need people who are givers as much as they are takers. And that's how trust is built in a relationship. You're not just looking for what you can get, but you're looking for how you can give. And we're gonna come back to that in a second. But young people and single people, I want you to see this. There, there's a biblical character who had a problem with trusting people, trusting the wrong people, and it ruined his life. And his name's Samson. Samson had a thing for Philistine women. He was on philistinewomen.com. And he was incredibly gifted, incredibly strong, but he was completely crazy when it came to relationships. Does anybody ever know somebody like that? Like they're, they're very accomplished professionals, but when it comes to relationships, it's like, please check in with me before you do something, all right? Let me see the dating profile before you move forward. And that's Samson. And, and Samson, he falls in love with this Philistine girl named Delilah. And Delilah is trouble. And she uh, constantly is, is trying to get to the source of his strength. In Judges 16, 6, it says, uh, Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound so that someone could subdue you. Now, I just wanna stop right here. Single people, if you're dating somebody, uh, guys, if you're, you're dating a girl who says, if I ever wanted to kill you, how should I do it? Run. <laughs> that chick is crazy. I don't care how pretty she is. Amen. Any of y'all been there, done that? And, and, and it's so, you remember last week we talked about the reason why we wanna be careful about starting with touch is that when we get touchy and we get intimate, physically intimate in a relationship, this part of our brain shuts off. And that's what happened with Samson. Like one time, for real, read it in your Bible. He wakes up and she has him tied up, ready to deliver him. And the Lord comes on him and he, he is able to break the, the chains and the ropes. And, and you know, it's like, wouldn't that maybe be a hint? This is not a good relationship. If I go to sleep and I wake up tied up, maybe I can't trust that person throwing that out there. And so Samson is a classic case of someone who blindly trusted people before he knew them. You wanna know somebody before you trust them. 
I'm gonna say, uh, parents, you wanna know that young man before you put him in a car with your daughter. You need to know who your kids are with. We need to know who we're having relationships with because this can lead to disaster. And I, I wanna shift right now and I'm gonna bring in the married people. So married people, if you've checked out the past five, six minutes, come back, come back with us. But we've gotta keep trust in a relationship. Once it's built, we've gotta keep it. And I love what Benjamin Franklin said. He said, before marriage, keep your eyes wide open. After marriage, half shut. <laughs> come on, Brother Franklin, that's good. I don't know, I don't know what, he might have been an atheist, but that was God inspired right there. Before marriage, keep your eyes wide open. You need to look for red flags everywhere because we're talking about your future. But after marriage, half shut. Now, I want to put out a disclaimer. I'm not saying that you ignore serious problems. If there's abuse, infidelity, you need to be aware of that. I'm talking about the little things. And here, here's what's so important to know is that it's often the little things that can destroy trust. Things like, well, I, I just don't like the way he eats popcorn. And he eats it every night in bed. And I can't watch my Netflix because all I hear is just this popcorn over here. Or, you know, I, I can't stand the way she pops her gum. I'm not talking about anybody uh, in particular when I say that, but I can't stand the way she pops her gum. Or, or the, I have a friend, he, he was, we were talking the other day, and he's like, you know, uh, my wife and I have been married for 20 years, and like in the 20 years, she still does not use her turn signal correctly, and it drives me crazy. But he said, you know what, I, I've just accepted that you know, 30, 40 years from now, she's still not gonna do it, and I love her every bit as much. And what we have to be careful is that we don't let things that don't matter destroy the trust in a relationship. There's a story of a woman who, uh, her husband had just passed away, and she went to see a counselor, and she was working through some things, working through his death, and she said, I'm, I'm just so frustrated because we were married for 50 years, and not once would he clean his dish after he ate. And it was something I, I dropped in, so I, I tried to do everything I could to get him to just wash his dish. And the counselor said, but you know, was he doing it on purpose? Was he trying to be a jerk, or was it just, he just didn't get it? And the, the woman said, you know what, now that I think of it, there's no amount of money that I wouldn't pay to drive home and when I get home today to find a dirty dish waiting on me. There's gonna come a time where you're gonna miss the sound of that popcorn. You're gonna miss the little things that they do that annoy you and, and may never ever change. But we've gotta trust their motives. We gotta trust that they're not trying to hurt us. And blind love in dating, it can be an, uh, uh, blind love is a real detriment in dating. But it can be an asset in marriage. That there's, there's some things you gotta overlook. There's some things that you just choose not to see. You know why? Because none of us are perfect. None of us eat popcorn the right way. None of us wash dishes the right way. 
And so if he never washes that dish the way he needs to, if he never does those things that you want him to do, just realize I love him despite those things. Come on, that's where trust is built. And, and here's what we need to do. We've gotta focus on the positives over the negatives. Trust is lowered when we, all we see is the negative. All we see is the, the negative things that they do, the things that we don't like. When we focus on all the negatives, it brings our trust levels down. And so today we have two spouses. We have the one at home and then we have the one in our head. We have the one that we want them to be. And just so you know, they'll never be that. They're gonna have their imperfections 50 years from now. And here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse seven says, and this is so good. It says, speaking of love, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. It always trusts, what's that mean? It always gives the benefit of the doubt. And, and here's how trust is broken, when we put our spouse and they're constantly on trial for something. They're constantly on trial for some thing that's going on in the home. What we need to do is have the, the spirit of love that Paul was talking about, it always protects, it always trusts. Healthy marriages have two spouses who are constantly striving to believe the best about the other person. Come on, that's a lot better than what you think it is. A healthy marriage has two spouses that are constantly striving to believe the best about the other person. Because the opposite of that is mistrust. And so a healthy marriage is built on trust that gives the benefit of the doubt. And, and here's what I wanna tell us today. And, and I know that this doesn't sound like spiritual warfare, I know that believing the best about your spouse when they eat popcorn doesn't sound like spiritual warfare, but it is. And, and spiritual warfare isn't, you know, I'm gonna go home today and I'm gonna see a demon in my living room. A lot of people have made that spiritual warfare. You know what spiritual warfare, it's right here. You know how de the devil destroys marriages? Right here. And it starts with the little things. It starts with mistrusting little things. And we have to constantly be in spiritual warfare in our mind and say, God, protect my marriage. God, protect me from ever getting a spirit, a critical spirit that makes me mistrust my spouse over something that doesn't matter. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we've all seen people who we thought had the perfect marriage, had the perfect family, and then one day you find out that it's all splitting up, they're getting divorced, and when you uh, get underneath the surface, there was a lot of little things that led to mistrust and led to that breakup. And that's why we're gonna be sober-minded and we're gonna be watchful. We're gonna be vigilant over our home. And, and that's why it's so important to not let our anger take over our day and we go to bed angry. We need to talk things out before we go to sleep. We need to say, we're gonna nip this in the bud right now. Why? Because I value my home. I value my marriage. And I'm not gonna let the devil, I'm not gonna let the enemy creep into our home. Is anybody with me today? 1 Peter 4, 8, this is a tough one. 1 Peter 4, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. 
since love covers what? A multitude of sins. Again, I'm not, I'm not talking about infidelity, abuse, those things. I'm not saying we shut our eyes to that. I'm talking about the little things that cause offense that if we're both serving one another don't matter. Love con- covers a multitude of sins. Love conceals certain imperfections and focuses on the positive. Focuses on what they do, what they get right. You know, maybe they don't clean their dish, but they get the kids ready for church on time. That they, they do so many things. They clean the house. They, uh, you know, do so many things around the house. They do so many things to make the family work. And we're really going to upset that over popcorn, over a turn signal. That's why we gotta keep it in perspective. And so this does not mean that we overlook serious character flaws, but we are being protective of our spouse in the things that eternally are not important. So I, I wanna talk for a minute, what happens, and he, let's just be real, there are times where trust is broken in a marriage, where trust is broken in a relationship. And for the spouse that's here today that your trust has been broken, here's what you gotta realize. Trust and forgiveness are two different things. Now this, this is our, a hard teaching right here. Trust and forgiveness are two different things. We are ordered and we are commanded by God 70 times seven to forgive. We are never ordered to trust anyone outside of God. Trust and forgiveness are completely different. You can forgive your spouse and still not trust them in certain areas of their life, and that's just the truth. And if you are the spouse that has broken trust, here's what you need to know. The temptation for you is to say, I'm sorry, and let's just move on. Nothing to see here. Let's just keep going. Doesn't work that way. And, And you have to be open and transparent to build trust. And Danielle and I, we have an agreement that we can see each other's phones at any time, any place, any time of the day, that we have nothing. That's how trust is built is you can have open access to every part of my life. And, and today, if the trust has been broken in your relationship, here's what you need to know, it takes time. It's not fixed overnight. With a deep break in trust, spouses often withhold forgiveness because they think that that will somehow protect them from trusting. And we have to forgive. But trusting is a whole nother ball game. And so for the person that has broken trust, you need to realize that there's gonna be a process and there's gonna be a pattern where you're gonna have to, once again, lay the foundation of trust in your relationship. And you will want to trust without making serious changes. And that's not the way it works. For trust to be built back up, serious changes have to be made. And here's what happens. When we break trust in a relationship, we're not sure whether we know that person anymore. Going back to that model, we know and then we trust. And when we break trust in a relationship, oftentimes you have to go back to know because the other spouse feels like maybe I didn't know them in the first place. And that's why it's so important. And I'm gonna speak to our marriage couples. We have to protect trust in our relationship because it's not easily put back together. 
And that's one of the things that, that drives me as a minister of the gospel is that so many of you trust me. And if I ever broke that trust, it doesn't get fixed with an I'm sorry. Whether we're teachers, whether we're moms and dads, husbands and wives, trust is a valuable thing. And if somebody trusts you, that is a high honor. Come on, can we give God praise for that? God, make us people who are trustworthy. So I wanna transition. We've been talking about trust. Last week, Pastor Jimmy Evans has a book called The Four Laws of Marriage. And last week, we talked about the first law, and that is the law of priority. We make our spouse our priority. In Genesis 2, 24, we find these four laws, and it says, therefore a man shall leave his wife and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Last week, we talked about he shall leave his father and mother, and that's the law of priority, that we make our spouse first. They become number one. And then he says that they, they hold fast, that a man will hold fast to his wife, and this is the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit, and the law of pursuit is this. Marriage is a covenant between two people working together. We hold fast to our mate, and, and here's, the problem is that so many of us, in, in the way our culture projects marriage, we don't project marriage as a covenant, we project it as a contract. And a contract is this, you do this and I'll do that. If you don't do that, I won't do this. And that's why we have easy divorce, we have people get in and out of relationships because they quote, don't make me happy anymore. And a covenant goes for, uh, so much further than that. Right. A contract is something that is honored as long as my rights are protected and I'm motivated in a contract by self-interest. What can I get out of this for me? And if you follow through on your end, I'll follow through on my end. And as long as you deliver, as long as you make me happy, I'm in. And you have an easy out if your partner doesn't fulfill their end of the contract. And here's what I wanna tell us is that biblical marriage does not work that way. Remember, love covers a multitude of sins. And so the biblical marriage is a covenant. And a covenant is based on this, mutual trust. A contract is based on mutual distrust. Like right now with a lot of the building uh, contracts that we're doing, I was thinking about this this week, and the contract is based on, you better not mess me over. And what a sad way to manage real relationships. When a covenant is based on mutual trust, and the way God saves us is through a covenant. The way God loves us is through a covenant. God does not save us through a contract. God does not say, if you do this, then I will do this for you. God loves us, and the new covenant, it was through the shedding of his blood. Somebody thank him for the blood today. Somebody thank him for forgiveness. And thank God that he loves us through a covenant and not a contract, because our contract with God wouldn't last two hours. 
If God cut us off every time that we didn't meet the obligations, and if God didn't trust us every time that we failed in any minor area, if God said, I'm cutting you off because I find you guilty of not obeying rule 7B.1, our relationship with God wouldn't last a day, but he loves us on a covenant that's based on his love. And he doesn't drop us the first time we make a mistake. He loves us with an everlasting love. And here's the thing, is that motivates us to love him more. That motivates me to serve him more. A contract is temporary, a covenant is permanent. And marriage is a covenant. When my spouse doesn't do what I want them to do, that doesn't mean I have an out. That doesn't mean that I have an easy out of the relationship. That means that it's time for me to step up my love even more. It's time for me to love them even more. And so God shows us covenant faithfulness. He shows us this and all throughout his word. When Israel's not faithful, he remains faithful. When, when you read, the, even in the church age where people get things wrong, God remains faithful. And a covenant relationship is based on this. A covenant relationship is two people serving one another. I serve God, God serves me. What I mean by that is God is faithful to me. He's done so much for me. And the least I can do is serve him. And if you wanna build trust in your relationship, this is so important today. If trust is low in your relationship today, both people need to start serving. Trust is built when two people become servants. When two people put aside their rights. When two people put aside their personal happiness and they begin to serve the other person. That's where trust is elevated. And today I wanna give us five points of how we can serve to build trust in our marriage. And number one is this, we wanna serve our spouse. We wanna serve their needs despite what we need, want, or understand. We wanna serve their needs despite what we want, need, or understand. We may not understand why it's so important to them to wash that dish. We may not understand why there are certain things that they might ask of us that we do that we understand. Why, that, why is that such a priority to you? But it's, it's when you have a servant mindset, it's not about you. And Ephesians chapter five, verse 33 says, however, let each of you love his wife as himself. And I wanna talk to the men. And then we read this, this Ephesians chapter five. A lot of people have problems with it because it talks about submission and a, a woman being submitted to her husband and here's what we need to understand what submission is and we need to understand what this chapter entails because Paul says that we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And you know what it means to be the head of the home? It means you are the chief servant. Come on, man, give me an amen on that. You are the chief servant. What does a chief servant look like? Honey, where do you wanna go on vacation this year? Honey, where do you wanna go eat tonight? 
being the head of the home is not about being a dictator and making everybody bow and making everybody do what you want. It's about being the chief servant. Where do we get this from? We get this from our Lord himself, that he, uh, he was the head of everything. He was the head of the church. He was the creator of heaven and earth. And before he leaves this earth, he gets down on his hands and knees and washes feet. Men, your role in the home is to be the chief foot washer. And so he says, we, we gotta love our wives as we love ourselves. And he says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. I wanna talk to the women for a second. Ladies, the best gift that you can give your husband is to respect him. To honor him. And I've seen it so many times where Maybe a, a wife publicly embarrasses her husband. And you know what happens with that? Trust goes way down. Trust lowers. Men need honor. They need respect. We need you to be proud of us. And, and even when we're not in our finest moments, elevate us. Speak life into us. Speak positivity into us. Help us be the men that God wants us to be. Is that all right? Can we praise God on that? Is everybody still with me? Number two, we wanna enjoy serving our spouse with a joyful attitude. When you serve out of obligation, it sucks the joy out of a relationship. And so when we don't serve our spouse with a good attitude, we have a contract view of marriage. I have to do this, I have to do this. And when we have a covenant view of a relationship, it's my honor, it's my pleasure to serve the mate that God put into my life. Number three, so important, we wanna reject scorekeeping. And we wanna do what we do with a spirit of grace and truth. Amen. Scorekeeping can kill trust. Scorekeeping can uh, kill love. Because here's what happens with scorekeeping. If someone's a really good scorekeeper, you can never do enough to make them happy. Because in their mind, they've done so much more than you and they don't see the thousand things you did when they weren't there. Come on, somebody. We wanna get out of scorekeeping. A covenant is not based on scorekeeping. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse four says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it what? Keeps no record of wrongs. And here's what I'm gonna say. If we tell somebody we've forgiven them, then we go back two, three years later and they do something and we start bringing back the record, that destroys trust. We go back to things 10 years ago, love does not keep score. Love does not say, you owe me. Love is a servant that is happy to serve, sometimes to people who can never pay us back, people who can never love us back the way we think that we deserve to be. So love does not keep score. Let's get out of the scorekeeping business. If we forgive somebody, let's forgive them. Let's move on. Number four, vigilantly protect your marriage and give time and energy to your spouse. This is so important. Vigilantly protect your marriage. 
Danielle is my servant, I am her servant, and it's our job together to be vigilant to protect our marriage. Vigilantly protect your marriage, and, and, and I'm just gonna uh, get real kind of with, with our season of life. This is something we've had to be intentional is, is about giving time and energy to our spouse. And I wanna go back to something I said last week. Remember, Jesus is my one, Danielle is my two, my kids are my three. And we've had to be intentional that we're not giving more time and energy to our kids than we are to one another. And we need to be careful that that doesn't take our touch level down. Come on, I'm about to get real. Did you know the Bible talks about that? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter seven says, do not deprive one another except perhaps for an agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I'm just gonna say this. There needs to be a lot of physical intimacy in our marriages because that is a trap. And if, if we're withholding that part of our life, trust level goes down and here's what happens. We find somebody that will fill that cup. And that goes for every aspect of our life. We need to be vigilant. What areas of my life? Am I spending too much time with, with my friends? Am I spending too much time with, with people that I'm not married to? And it's, uh, my schedule is built around them, my schedule is built and my priorities built around them, or am I filling my spouse's cup? Am I giving time and energy to them? Are they my first priority? And so we wanna be vigilant that we're intimate in our marriage. Number five is this, that when we serve one another, we wanna expect to be blessed and don't give up. Don't give up. If you have two people in a marriage serving one another, I'm gonna tell you right now, it is fail-proof. It is fail-proof. We wanna expect to be blessed. I believe I'm gonna be blessed in my marriage because I'm following God's manual. I'm following God's rule book of how to do marriage. And, and here's what the word of God says, Matthew 23. says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If I humble myself, God's gonna exalt my marriage. If I serve my wife, if I love her like Christ loved the church, she's not gonna have a problem honoring me. And we're gonna serve one another. And we're gonna help one another. And we're gonna trust one another. And God is going to bless our marriage. And I'm just gonna say it one more time. If you need to rebuild trust in your relationship and trust in your marriage, start serving. Maybe some of us, we need to start, we need to step up and serve a little more. Maybe we need to serve in more visible ways than we have up to this point. And I just wanna challenge us as we leave this place today, let's be servants in our home. Let's make it a contest to see who can outserve the other. And I know we're not supposed to keep score, but you know what I mean. Let's serve one another. Come on, how many people wanna have a blessed marriage today? Can we stand on our feet all over this place? Here's what I want us to do. I want us to do what we did last week. And I want us to come to this altar as couples, as families. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to make a commitment 
to serve one another. Maybe you're here today Maybe there's things in your marriage that nobody else knows, that you've broken trust in your marriage and it's only the two of you knows. You need to come to this altar today. You need to make a new commitment. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna put you first. I'm gonna put you above my own wants and desires and I am going to serve you like Christ loves the church. Can we lift up our hands all over this place today? Come on, let's believe that God it's gonna heal some marriages today. Come on, if you're fighting for your home, if you're fighting for your marriage, I wanna challenge you, get to this altar right now. This is where battles are won. This is where God brings people together, where God heals, where God restores. And I want us to pray right now all over this place. God, I pray. Lord, for every marriage, God, in this church, God, I pray, Lord, if the enemy has done everything he can to break trust, God, Lord, I pray if there's forgiveness, God, I pray that needs to happen. Lord, I pray there would be forgiveness. If trust needs to be rebuilt, God, Lord, I pray that both people, God, both spouses would be servants to one another, God. I pray, Jesus, make us a church of servants. Make us, God, a home of servants. God, make us, Lord, a community, God, that doesn't look to our own needs, God, but looks to serve other people. All right, all over the South, come on, let's lift up our hands. Let's begin to sing this right now. And as we sing this, why don't you sing this over your home? Why don't you sing this over your marriage? Why don't you believe that God is gonna heal what's broken all over this place?